0: You are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for joining us for the February 9th, 2024, Friday reading of the Arc Valley Voice News Program. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today, we will be reading the following main articles, Bipartisan Tax Package to Lower Costs, Expand Child Tax Credit, Passes U.S. House, written by Jan Wondra. Colorado Parents Need a Cost Break, Can They Get It? written by Arc Valley Voice staff. Solvista Health Earns National Award for Workplace Health and Culture, written by Jan Wondra. Score for Democracy, D.C. Appeals Court Rejects Presidential Immunity, written by Jan Wondra. And Amabile Suicide Prevention Bill Passes Colorado House, written by Jan Wondra, and following up with miscellaneous articles. We begin with the first article, Bipartisan Tax Package to Lower Costs, Expand Child Tax Credit, Passes U.S. House. This posted by Jan Wondra. On Tuesday night, a vote was held in the U.S. House on H.R. 7024, the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act, legislation that has bipartisan, bicameral support and would promote the financial security of working families, support small and medium-sized businesses, and boost innovation and American competitiveness. This bill contains a scaled-down version of the Child Tax Credit CTC initiative championed by Senator Michael Bennett that was in effect temporarily during the pandemic and credited with significantly reducing child poverty. The 2021 expanded Child Tax Credit helped cut child poverty nearly in half. It was a lifeline for millions and the most significant investment Washington has made in kids and families in generations. In short, it worked, notes Bennett. I'm grateful for Chairman Wyden and Chairman Smith's bipartisan commitment to fighting child poverty in our country, he adds. Although I am disappointed their proposal isn't a return to the American Family Act, 80% of children currently left out of the full child tax credit will benefit from this deal. The bill is supported by U.S. Representative Brittany Peterson, CO07. It also includes other initiatives that are top priorities for Peterson, including the low-income housing tax credit and increased access to disaster relief. At a time when so many American families are struggling to make ends meet, Congress was finally able to come together on a tax package that will lower costs, support our local businesses and economies, and help address our housing crisis, said Peterson. The expansion of the child tax credit included in the bill would benefit an estimated 16 million children in low-income families, including 15,000 kids in my district alone, lifting nearly half a million children out of poverty nationwide. As a mom, I cannot overstate the impact this will have for parents, in addition to the housing tax credit and business support, which will bolster our community as a whole. The legislation includes provisions that would expand access to the Child Tax Credit with a phased increase to the refundable portion of the CTC for 2023, 2024, and 2025. Eliminate a penalty for larger families by ensuring the CTC phase-in is applied fairly to families with multiple children. Increase the supply of low-income housing by enhancing the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, LAHTC, with increased state allocations and a reduced tax-exempt bond financing requirement. Increase access to tax relief for certain individuals in qualified major disaster areas. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities estimates that the bill would benefit 16 million children in low-income families and lift as many as 400,000 children above the poverty line in its first year, with even more set to benefit in 2025. In Colorado's 7th Congressional District, the Joint Economic Committee estimates this would benefit 15,000 kids in the first year. We need to get this done. And after we do, I'll keep fighting to make the expanded child tax credit permanent. Our goal should be to end childhood poverty in this country, said Bennett. That story bipartisan tax package to lower costs, expand child tax credit, passes U.S. House. Next up, Colorado parents need a cost break. Can they get it? This posted by Arc Valley Voice staff. New Colorado bill would exempt baby-toddler products from state sales tax. The cost of raising a child from birth to age 18 has never been higher, nor have the past few years been easy on parents through the pandemic, inflation, and Colorado's housing crunch. According to U.S. News Money, the cost of raising a child in 2024 could be as much as $310,000. Their news article about these parenting costs noted, For years, the U.S. Department of Agriculture published an annual report that calculated the average cost of raising a child to adulthood, not including college expenses. That report hasn't been updated since 2017, but at that time, it found the cost of raising a child born in 2015 was $233,610. That assumes the child was born to a middle-income married couple. When adjusted for inflation, the number jumps to $290,014 in 2022, based on the most recent data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. A new bill proposed in the Colorado House would provide some sales tax relief for parents preparing for new babies and some tax-free times when parents could save money while purchasing needed toddler and school-age supplies. House Bill 24-1027 proposes to exempt toddler and baby products such as cribs, swings, clothes, and strollers from the state sales tax of 2.9 percent. For the parents of school-age children, this same bill would also create two two two-week tax holidays for back-to-school products, including backpacks, school supplies, and computers under a certain dollar amount. The bill is co-sponsored by two dads, Representative Ty Winters and Senator Byron Pelton. It defines the items included in the baby and toddler product category. It should be pointed out that most of these are all hard items, and most or many purchased just once. What might really help the budgets of parents of little ones would be exempting two of the most needed items. Recurring items that are a big recurring drain on young parents' budgets. Perhaps this thought is just too simple, but Arc Valley Voice has a thought. What about removing the tax paid on commercial diaper products or formula? Of course, this might just be too much common sense, but then again, maybe the time has come. That story, Colorado parents need a cost break. Can they get it? Next in the news, Solvista Health earns National Award for Workplace Health and Culture. This posted by Jan Wondra. Solvista Health announced this morning that it has been awarded the 2024 Platinum Bell Seal for Workplace Health by Mental Health America. The Bell Seal is a first-of-its-kind workplace certification recognizing employers striving to create mentally healthy workplaces for their employees. We talk about our values, culture, and mission a lot here, said Solvista CEO Brian Turner, but we also remind ourselves to not just talk about it, be about it. Mental Health America, MHA, is the nation's leading nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to promoting mental health, well-being, and illness prevention for all. MHA has spent decades researching mental health in the workplace and awards the bell seal for workplace mental health to companies that understand the value of addressing mental health at work and implement policies and practices that support employee well-being. As a part of the certification process, Solvista underwent a rigorous evaluation of its policies and practices in four areas, workplace culture, benefits, compliance, and wellness programs. The average mental health employer scores just 36% on this evaluation, but Solvista earned a 92% rating, putting them at the highest platinum level of recognition by Mental Health America. According to Turner, Solvista's commitment to actually live that mission means that the organization invests heavily in things like increasing employee benefits, creating robust opportunities for feedback and engagement, and implementing industry-best training and career pathway development across Solvista's team. The investment appears to be paying off. Solvista's staff has more than doubled in size over the past five years. It now operates eight locations across Fremont, Chaffee, Custer, and Lake Counties, increasing the number of people that can now be served by more than 110 percent. This recognition is a testament to the work we put in each day to listen to our team and implement real strategies to make Solvista an amazing place to work, said Turner, With incredible people on staff, we can do incredible things for the people in our communities. For more information about Solvista Health, visit their website at www.solvistahealth.org. That story, Solvista Health earns National Award for Workplace Health and Culture. Continuing in the news, score for democracy, D.C. appeals court rejects presidential immunity. This posted by Jan Wundra. Much of the nation has been marking the MAGA anti-democratic drumbeat, some with eyes wide open trepidation, others in blissful ignorance of what is really going on as the GOP we knew has disintegrated under the weight of Trumpism. But democracy watchers can be cheered this week with one precedent-setting legal victory. The three-member D.C. Federal Appeals Court has issued a unanimous ruling that rejects ex-President Donald Trump's claims of absolute presidential immunity. They called Trump's alleged crimes an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government that threatened democracy if left beyond the reach of criminal prosecution. The 57-page report carefully debunks every single aspect of the claim that this ex-president or any former president has lifelong immunity after leaving office for anything he or she did or attempted to do in office. The unanimous opinion completely rejects Trump's sweeping claim of presidential immunity as dangerous and unsupported by the Constitution. That means Trump can be put on trial for trying to stay in power after losing the 2020 election, the very charges that Department of Justice Special Counsel Jack Smith has filed. We cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the fundamental check on executive power, the recognition and implementation of election results, the judge's opinion proclaims. Nor can we sanction his apparent contention that the executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and to have their votes count. As they laid out their objections, the judges were pointed in referencing Trump, not as President Trump or even as former President Trump, but as Citizen Trump. The designation reinforces their judicial decision that while in office there are presidential privileges, but once out of office, a president reverts to being a regular citizen with the same rights and privileges, no more, no less, than the rest of this country's citizens. That said, the Federal Appeals Court gave Trump and his attorneys until Monday, February 12th, to file an appeal to see if the U.S. Supreme Court might agree to hear the appeal but they added a notice of stay that requires five justices to agree with it, and if they don't, lower court judge Tanya Chutkin can proceed with trying the case, even while the appeal is being considered. Citizen Trump, of course, has taken to social media with a vengeance, name-calling, ranting, and trying to pretend that this decision on presidential immunity will destroy the presidency. Since it never existed, and every other president except Trump has operated faithfully, effectively, and non-criminally without it, we must assume that Trump is evidencing his usual situational projection. Because he would have or already has acted criminally, he presents the false notion that everyone would act as he has. The calendar had Trump's trial scheduled for March 4th. Trump is facing four criminal prosecutions while he is running to return to the White House. It could be said that his strategy is to run to keep out of prison. But last week, that trial date disappeared off the calendar, waiting for the past four weeks on the decision of the federal appeals court. As the calendar ticks on, the real facts of these trials will become part of the 2024 election stew, which Trump supporters everywhere will try to use to make a case for election interference. But this fact overrides that no one is above the law, including former presidents. If bringing Trump to trial to determine his guilt or innocence overlaps the 2024 election season, so be it. Finally, America deserves the truth about a man who may never have told the truth in his whole life. Since he is incapable of that, then the courts are going to need to find out for us. What's next as our democracy hangs on by the rule of law and our fingernails? We all stay tuned. That story, Score for Democracy, D.C. Appeals Court Rejects Presidential Immunity. Next up, Amabile Suicide Prevention Bill passes Colorado House, this posted by Jan Wundra. The Colorado House on Tuesday passed bipartisan legislation to prevent suicides by regulating sales of sodium nitrite products. The bill passed by a vote of 60 to 4. Colorado is in a mental health crisis, and the growing frequency of suicide by sodium nitrite products indicates that these products are too easily accessible, said the bill's primary sponsor, Representative Judy Amabile-Democrat-Boulder. Some private online sellers are marketing concentrated sodium nitrite products as a way to complete suicide, profiting off of the mental health struggles of our loved ones and neighbors, she adds. This bill brings much needed regulation to these products so we can keep it out of the hands of people most susceptible to it and focus instead on getting them help. Sodium nitrite suicide kits are easily accessible online and have been reported to be used by Colorado residents, especially youth, in recent years. Websites that sell these kits often have step-by-step instructions on how to use sodium nitrite to complete suicide. House Bill 24-1081, also sponsored by Representative Mark Catlin, would regulate the sale or transfer of products that contain 10% or greater of sodium nitrite. Sellers would be required to verify that commercial businesses require the product before a transaction could be made, and records of sales or transfers must be kept for three years. Violators could see $10,000 in civil penalties for a first violation with up to $1 million for a second violation. That story and suicide prevention bill passes Colorado House. Next up, Salida City Council reviews affordable housing funding parking program at Work Session. This posted by Elliot Jackson. At their work session on Monday, February 5th, the Salida City Council, SCC, heard a report from Ashley Capel, executive director of the Chafee Housing Authority, CHA, discussed usage of the city's affordable housing funds, revisited the parking program with Interstate Parking Management, IP, and considered amendments to the SCC handbook suggested by city attorney Nina Williams. Update on housing. Capel's report on CHA developments in 2023 focused on four areas that would have impact on activities in 2024. These include partner-driven development, which included the Jane's Place and Carbonate Street projects, and a land banking grant from Proposition 123 funds to acquire land for the Alpine West project and a possible partnership with developer Rob Gartzman to further his flour mill project. The partnerships we developed in 2023 will set us up for success in 2024, Capel said, urging the SCC for partnership support as well. Capel reported on other CHA activities, such as the Continuum of Care program, which works with unhoused people to find them housing. We are trying to have some office hours for the program in BV. We have had a strong presence in Salida. She also reported on the CHA housing ballot issue survey, which went live last week. 650 people have taken it already. The goal for the entire survey period was 600. City Administrator Christy Dune introduced the Affordable Housing Fund, saying that Mayor Pro Tem Justin Cretelli had had questions about where it could be allocated. The Affordable Housing Fund has over $900,000 right now, Dune reported. It comes from different sources, she continued. We've mentioned before a few of the projects we've been keeping an eye on for use of these funds, such as First and D. We are moving forward with the design for that project and hoping to have a public presentation next month. We have been given $750,000 from Prop 123 for land banking. We might need $200,000 to $300,000 to match those funds. There's also South Arc neighborhood infrastructure. We have partnerships, but we'll still have to ante up about $1.3 million for that. We are making a presentation before DOLA later this month. DUNE went through other funding options for making development more affordable, such as waiving fees for building permits and other city services out of the Affordable Housing Fund. Usually we don't waive those fees because they go towards the Enterprise Fund. What if someone wanted to make their project 100% affordable? asked Critelli. Infrastructure funding is probably the way to go, rather than handing everything over to one developer, said City Attorney Nina Williams. I think it makes sense to diversify the Affordable Housing Fund among different projects, said Mayor Dan Shore. I like having a menu of things that the fund is used for, said Council Member Alyssa Pappenfort. We want the connection to housing to be clear, so that it's clear to the public that we're doing, with the money, what we said we were doing. Using the money to match grant funds is a way to grow the funding, said member Dominique Nacarato. Parking Program Concepts The SCC moved on to discussion of the parking program, with Dune introducing representatives from IP to answer further questions. I would like to point out a couple things, said Dune. The city does not own any property downtown for parking. We lease three lots with about $130,000 per year that goes to those property owners. These leases get more and more expensive. We have also included a draft map in the packet. Zone A is most desirable for paid parking. Zone B is near Safeway. This is where we would put free parking for employees. Zone C is longer-term parking across the river and one owned by Salida Bottling Company on First Street. Zone D is not paid, but time-limited. Zone E is the Tuber Building. The number of services in this building has increased a lot, and also STR owners have been telling people that they can park there. We want to make sure we have parking for clients and staff. There's a mix of paid parking and permit parking for residents. I did include the potential for a city share of the revenue. IP is totally flexible in terms of working with us, continued Dune. The secondary goal of the revenue stream is to build up a fund for parking, replacing those lots if they eventually go to housing or something else. Dune concluded her introduction by saying that downtown residents and employees would be eligible for parking permits. Representatives from IP answered questions and concerns from the SCC about costs and overhead for the project, including enforcement, fees collection, and outreach to area businesses, saying that they did different plans for different municipalities. Crested Butte does enforcement only, Other communities do revenue sharing for paid parking, they explained. We also do data analytics in order to see what the parking situation looks like in town in order to make decisions. We also have other features we can install with a phone app, such as wayfinding for parking places, as well as payment options. I'm not totally clear how we start with a contract like this, said member Harold Casper during discussion. Nothing is defined right now. Passing Ordinance 2024-02 is the first step," said Dune. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us for the Arc Valley Voice News Program. My name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777.